everybody. Uh, we are back. Um, sadly, uh, I guess I should say under kind of sad, not kind of sad circumstances. Uh, so this show is going to be a little different. Um, we're obviously talking about Mr. Terry Funk and Mr. Bray Wyatt, who uh, unfortunately passed away this week. Uh, one seemingly expected, uh, maybe sooner than we'd like, and then one completely unexpected. Um, and so we're, we're going to talk about both of them. We're going to cover, you know, when we first saw them, um, first matches that we saw our favorite matches. And, and I think, uh, this is what I'm looking forward to is why they were so important to the wrestling business and why we both love them. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, I don't know, grab some tissue, uh, you know, tune in, grab your favorite funk movie, favorite funk promo, your favorite Wyatt entrance, your favorite Wyatt promo, and just and you know reminisce with us, and uh, you know let's uh, let's get into it, guys. Jim, I think as the as the the the, the wisest and and eld, elder of of the group, when did you when did you first see Terry Funk, and 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 did it take a minute for you to go? Uh, yeah, I gotta let. It. Was it a slow burn or was it like holy shit? Who is this guy? I need to see more of him. You know, so my my first introduction to Terry Funk was in um, WCW. Actually, uh, it was it was when he confronted Flair after Flair just won the title. Um, and, you know, obviously, at that point in their careers, they were both very established guys. But I was eight. <laughs> so, I, you know, what the hell did I know? Um, and, and you immediately could tell that Funker was a charismatic guy. You could immediately tell he had a a. a charisma about him and a persona surrounding him and and so yeah very quickly i was like okay this guy is this guy is somebody to watch i want to know more about him and yeah the the more i got into wrestling the more i kind of got into the back catalog and really became enamored with him uh you know watching the old tapes from him in the territory days and everything like that and uh you know as, as has been alluded to several times on the show i was a big ecw guy so you know my love for terry funk only grew when i watched him uh, really catapult ECW to a whole new level. Um, but yeah, my, my first introduction was, was when he uh, was interviewing Ric Flair post-match and uh, kind of did this really brilliant little swerve of, you know, like, well, you know, like, you know, Rick, we're, we're old buddies, we're old friends, but you've never given me a shot at the title. And Ric Flair is trying to, you know, like, oh, well, you know, I know oh, I, oh. and uh, you know, they, they're going back and forth for a little bit. And it was just such a great moment. Uh, when Funk finally just drops Flair, uh, and it, you know it's watching a guy in a tuxedo pile drive a man through a table is something that kind of stays with you, you know. So my my first introduction to Terry Funk was was uh, that that what has now become kind of a classic segment uh, with with Ric Flair. That's so funny because uh, it it we'll get to this a little bit later. Kind of uh, one of my more um, memorable moments. Um, and actually, uh, Jim, that was the first time I saw Terry Funk too, uh, yeah. was when he put Flair through the table and I was like, Oh my God, who is this guy? Poor Ric Flair. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know how old I was probably maybe a little bit older, but was just clearly like, I don't know who this guy is. And I just, I'm going to stay away from him, you know? And it, it, I, I really got into funk. I think a lot, I think because of you, Jim with ECW. Um, not you saying, Hey, Terry Funk's in ECW is just you saying, watch ECW and start from the ground up. Um, which uh, Terry Funk was a, a big part of that at his age. And 
I think Paul Heyman's gone on record saying that like he it, it that it was it, I don't want to say I, I'm trying to I'm struggling with the words, but it was um he he trusted Funk, but he in in an essence put a lot of trust into Funk to when they put the belt on him. Uh he was their first champion. And like at his age, at what he did and what that company stood for, I I speaks volumes about the man. And that's where I really got to kind of know him. And then that led me down to his more FMW type stuff, more of his old NWA type stuff. And you know, a, a guy who traveled the territories, et cetera. So, um, but that was my first, I mean, two, I guess, big exposures to Terry Funk, but Tom, uh, what about you? Well, a few things, uh, with Terry Funk, I was always just like, when I first heard his name, I was, I was like, this guy's not real because of his <laughs> name. Uh, and, uh, I always thought his name was really funny, but <clears throat> my first memory of Terry Funk would probably be, uh, uh the beyond the mat documentary. Yeah. Um, because, uh, because I am so significantly younger than these two gentlemen. Uh, I, I never really knew him. Uh, I knew the ECW stuff, but like once I got my hands on like, you know, the tapes and everything like that, it was just, you just dive in. And also too, funk was always like your dad's favorite wrestler. And anytime you, anytime you uh, like talk to like older dudes who actually like grew up watching, um, you know, wrestling in the seventies, uh, and, and the territory days. And you know, everyone cites it as like the good old days. And you always, you always heard about Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes and Terry Funk. And I always thought Terry Funk wasn't real because I was just like, okay, that's, that's a stupid name. And then it turns out he's like one of the greatest wrestlers I've ever seen. But because of you guys really, it's, it's that, Oh, and I'm, I'm constantly like, asking Mike and Jim about like, Oh, who like when I was younger, which wrestler was this, which wrestler was that. And then I had two guys who were able to be like, you need to go back and watch this, get your hands on this and then do this. And it was always just like fun homework to me. And that's how I, I remember like finally, you know, collecting the, 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 the Terry Funk stuff over time was because of you two gentlemen. But um, <clears throat> yeah, beyond the mat, it was just very, you'd never beyond the mat was so unique because at the time kayfabe was still pretty real going pretty hard yeah. still. And I mean, it was kind of like on the outs because it, it, the attitude era, you were kind of like, okay, this is kind of pulling the, you know, the curtains up a little bit. And then you just see Terry Funk and then you see Jake, the snake and, and both their stories are just terribly depressing. You know, Terry Funk can't afford a hip or, you know, a hip replacement. And I think that's why he was retiring. Wasn't he Jim? Yeah. Um, the one of a thousand yeah. times he retired retirements. Yeah. <laughs> And it was just like, it was, it was very, I mean, I, I recently watched Beyond the Mat and it's, it's a little rough to, to rewatch, but like, it was my first exposure of like, oh, these guys aren't like, this isn't real, but they're real human beings. And, and Terry Funk was just always that like bigger than life guy who played just a, a scary mean wrestler. And I, I just, his stuff, it just speaks. speaks so, uh, interesting. I, I forgot he was in Beyond the Mat. I totally mm -hmm. forgot that like, cause he, didn't they show him wrestling heart? Yep, and that was the like the infamous like the guy on the trampoline doing the yep. like with his little weights or I can't yeah. think of that guy's name, but I think he actually just recently passed away too. Um, well, the the ref in that match was like an old friend. He was like an old wrestler of Funk's, and he was like, because I that think was that guy. It, it was, was that same guy. guy. Yeah, it was, was the same guy. guy. Yeah, the trampoline oh, guy. Was okay, the match. Yeah, because yeah. he was like real salty that he was like, "Come on, Funk! Like you couldn't you even get your payday. You didn't book me. You didn't book me, Funk." And then that's another, uh, that's just like a, a, 
a testament to how sweet the man was. And you got to see it like he was just like, oh, that's that's ridiculous. It wasn't it wasn't in spite. And he was like, let's make you the ref. Let's do this. And he was just so kind. And he get, he like he got that guy paid, which I thought, I thought that was really cool. And you could tell it wasn't it wasn't just for the cameras. That's I've always heard that it, it's it um, about funk. I think funk Brody and Hanson at least those are the three that come to mind when you're like, Oh my God, those guys are terrifying. And they're absolute sweethearts outside of the ring. Like I've heard Stan Hansen is the biggest softy and everybody he's like grandpa oh, to people. I know, which is, you're really? like, what the heck? that makes no sense. <laughs> like, but same with Brody is Brody or uh, bruiser. Brody was, they were like, he outside, very soft spoken, very quiet, loved his family dearly. And Bounce when he, camera, man. Yeah. yeah. But when he was, in the ring he that was it was he went nuts and so but i've heard that about funk too not to stray away from the path with funk but no i've heard that too is that he's just he's a sweet guy and would talk to anybody would always give advice um etc and and whatnot so before we get into um i guess why jim this is where i'm going to lean on you a little bit is uh before we get into why they were so important to wrestling why do you think I guess this will be a good caveat into it. Why do you think so many wrestlers really you know, credit and cherish Terry Funk? Like that was a bit when he passed, um, that was a big, a lot of people, you know, putting pictures up. Uh, I know Punk did. Um, I think everybody did. Um, so I guess, Jim, why was he so, because he's had such an odd, like an odd career, the way I, you know, it was NWA, more wrestling. Then all of a sudden he, you know, it was Terry Funk, like, oh, you know, the territory days. But then he made this like switch, if I'm not mistaken, to like this hardcore icon mm-hmm. kind of thing. And so very different styles and whatnot. So, Jim, what do you think was the core of Terry Funk and why so many wrestlers like love him or loved him or looked up to him or, or you know, etc.? cetera? I, I think he was so instrumental because of because of his understanding of psychology of ring psychology, right? No, no one is going to put Terry Funk into the technical wrestler hall of fame, right? He, he came from the days of, you know, like I think the most technical thing Terry Funk did was the spinning toe hold. You know, he, he was not, you know, a chain wrestler. It wasn't this British style. It wasn't, you know, he didn't inspire the Dean Malenko's of the world. Uh, it was just, just good old fashioned, make that guy look good and make the people believe what's happening and the passion that he had in the ring and, and the ability to tell that story and the ability to get people's emotions involved. I think that's, I think that's what he, why he's so influential to so many wrestlers is because regardless of what style of wrestling you want to pursue, if you want to be a high flyer, you want to be hardcore, you want to be technical, you want to be a submission, you want to be a shooter you're going to have to know how to bring the audience's emotions into the ring with you. And Terry Funk was a fucking genius at it. Uh, absolute legend at it. Absolutely iconic at it. And I, I, I think that was the impact. I think that's the reason that so many people watched him and wanted to, wanted to follow in his footsteps. You know, they didn't want to go into an exploding barbed wire match, but they did want people to connect. Right. Cause isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what we all want is human connection. And and Funk was able to connect with, you know, an arena full of people through through his ability to emotionally tell a story. Oh, well said. Well said. No. So I think that that it, good transition, um, you know, um, 
into our our our, our kind of next topic uh, is you know why Tom why do you think why was funk so important to not only just wrestlers but wrestling itself I guess, if that question makes sense. Um, well, I think it, it kind of goes hand in hand with what Jim just said. I think that his ability to have the audience in the palm of his hand is, is masterful. And there's so very few people who can, I, I mean, not few people. There's so, there's so few people who can master it as well as Funk did. And I'm, I'm even going to say, even, I think, uh, Jake, the snake even took, a uh, some stuff from him as well. And that ability to tell a story. Yeah. Jim's absolutely right. You're not going to, you don't watch a funk match to be like, I wonder if he's going to do is, you know, uh, a shooting star press. No, <laughs> you're going to watch him because, and I, I look back at the, when he wins the title and he's screaming into the, into the crowd forever. That crowd is one of the most emotional things I've ever seen. And I think it, correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, uh, that was probably what in Texas, I'm assuming. Yep. So he's, he's in his hometown, which is a plus for that. But like, he was he to me was the first guy that you like felt for like him and Dusty both like Dusty was the working man. But there was something about Funk that was like he was like an underdog. He was always an underdog. He was always mentioned as like, you know, the Ric Flair and and, and Dusty Rhodes. But what about me? What about Funk? Um, and And I think his ability to change over the years, too, into that that hardcore scene, a guy his age doing that stuff. I mean say what you will. It takes, it takes a lot of balls to do that. And yes, they weren't probably some of the best of his matches, but he still proved that like at at that time, like, Hey, I can still hang with the young kids and I can still teach him something. And, and also too behind the scenes. I think the reasons why he's so important is he was a locker room leader. People went to him. You could see it in ECW, even in uh, maybe beyond the matter, there's another documentary where he's in where everybody's just like getting advice from him. Thank you, Mr. Fong. Thank you. And he's just like, Hey, anybody wants to pick my brain, I'm here for it. And I think that's what makes the business so good is when you're willing to swallow your ego and teach the younger talent like, hey, hey, I see that this isn't working. Have you tried this? And I, I, I definitely think Terry Funk was one of the most important people to have in your locker room. And, and that speaks, I think, more than his, his actual wrestling careers, his ability to, you know, connect with the crowd, connect with other wrestlers and and give nothing but advice and nothing but and teach what he could. Um, so I think that's why he's as important as he is. And plus he has some really killer matches that hold up today. Oh, for sure. Ric Flair and, and, and uh, which we'll talk about too, but like I, him and Ric Flair, they're just, it's like a master class of wrestling. Mm-hmm. No. And, and, and well said both of you, um, you know, but it, it, Jim to, to where Tom, you know, kind of transitioned to into the hardcore stuff. Like when, when did Funk start? I know he, he always kind of had that brawler kind of Stan Hansen kind of mentality and whatnot, but when did he, was it ECW that he started? Or I guess I would probably before that, cause I know he was an FMW, right? Mm-hmm. When did Funk make this kind of transition, I guess, from the, Every, you know, the working man that Tom said, the brawler into this more, I'm going to just put my body on the line for anything. And man, did that guy do some shit. So well, it was, guess, it was as he got older, right? He, he he got older and he realized that all he really had left was his willingness to put it all on the line. Um, and so it wasn't, you know, he was always known as, as a tough guy. 
right? right? He was always a tough guy and he was not afraid to blade, not afraid to bleed, right? But the like really crazy shit didn't happen until later in his life when I think it was he he couldn't do a lot of what he used to be able to do. So he turned to a style that didn't require him to be. And again, he was never the most athletic guy. He was never, you know, he, he, he was never, a you know, a high flyer or anything like that. But when he couldn't even do the stuff he was doing in Florida in the, in the 80s, his body wasn't able to do that anymore. He said, OK, how can I still give to the fans? How can I still turn this? And, and that's when he turned to that kind of deathmatch style wrestling. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and again, some some great stuff. I mean. Clear, like he had a, I think he had a couple of runs in ECW. I know in the beginning, and then he came back um, for a real brief minute, um, which I, which was great. Um, that's that will be talked about here shortly. Uh, but uh, no, interesting stuff. So I know I think that's a, it's a good transition into, um, you know, any any favorite matches. I guess you know um, anything that sticks out. Um, I know we've talked about obviously. I think the forever. You know the forever match, forever. yeah, where he gets oh, the best, where he uh, where he wins the title, uh, you know. And Tom, that crowd is great. You know, I Jim, you mentioned it, um, Flair when he put Flair through the table in a tuxedo, but it was just great. Where it's just this like ha, 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 and whammo, and he just floors him, <laughs> and like it just beats the shit out of him for you know at the end of that match. So, but it, other than those, um, and even if they are those, that so be it. But like anything that sticks out, so. You know, Jim, what are, you, what are some of your favorite funk matches? God, yeah, I, it's it's hard to – he had he, – Terry Funk had phases to his career. He had eras, right, you know. Um, yeah. One of, one of my absolute favorites is it was Terry Funk and Dory Funk Jr. in Japan against Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen. Oh, my God. Right? <laughs> you, you want to talk about filling the ring with fucking beasts. Um, you're, you're watching with binoculars, man. You're like, I'm getting nowhere near those four. <laughs> it was, and it was, and, and again, it was beautiful because it wasn't catch wrestling. It wasn't, you know, it was four bruisers. But the way that I've always loved Stan Hansen's ability to sell, right, with the facial expressions. And Terry's ability to sell and, and, you know, and bruiser going on bruisers, you know, shit. Um, I, I love that. Man. I can't remember. I know it was in Japan. I can't remember if it was all Japan or IWA Japan, but um, it, it was just, it was, it was such a great storytelling match that was captivating even a Japanese audience, right. Who are notoriously stoic. Um, and, and, and those four were able to get them, really riled up <laughs> it's 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 a real test of your abilities when you can get a japanese audience worked up uh and they had that audience really really going so uh that was one of my favorites um i was i loved loved his feud with dusty Rhodes in florida uh championship wrestling of florida in the 80s um they had so many really good kind of hardcore matches you know uh, texas death matches bunkhouse matches uh, you know, just some, some great stuff that one of my favorite pictures of all time is Terry Funk wearing a shirt that says Dusty Rhodes sucks eggs. Uh, it's just that's such an underrated insult. I, I love it. Um, when when he when he won the the ECW title against Raven uh, at uh, was it Hardcore Heaven. I can't remember. It was it was their first pay-per-view at the first ever pay-per-view. He beat Raven. Uh, with one of the worst moonsaults I've ever seen in my life. Uh, but I, 
I love the match because of what it symbolized and what it what it meant to the wrestling world. Uh, and then of course, you know, Terry Funk versus Onita, the the exploding no ring barbed wire match, right? Where again, not technical brilliance, but the storytelling and the way they end the match where Onita wins the match and rolls out of the ring before it blows up, sees that Funk isn't going to make it out. And he runs back in to protect him, right? You know, that's, that's fucking brilliant, man. That's just, that's just brilliant storytelling. Um, and, and so those are the ones that really stand out to me as like kind of highlights of Funk's career because they're so different, right? The hardcore era, the territorial era, but they, they all speak to the brilliance of a storyteller's mind and, and the brilliance of a man who could, could hold you in the palm of his hand. Uh, and I, 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 yeah, I go back and rewatch those matches any day of the week. Nice. Tom, what about you? I mean, uh, <laughs> Jim said a lot. Uh, the, <laughs> the, 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 yeah, the infamous, you know, dusty sucks eggs. I mean, come on. That's just, that's beautiful. <laughs> Didn't um, Cody wear it when he was fighting Jay lethal or vice versa? I, I think, I think Jay wore it. Jay was wearing one that says Cody sucks eggs. Oh my God. That's great. It was just, it was a throwback to, yeah, it was awesome. Um, yeah. I mean, Funk and flair, you don't, I mean, that's as good as it gets, honestly, in my eyes. I mean, that was some of the best storytelling ever funk and Onita too. Um, I, I recently, um, I, Onita was one of the names that you kind of just like hear when you were younger, you're just like, who the hell is this guy? And you'd like, pick up, you know, wrestling magazines and he'd just be randomly in there and you're like, who the hell? Um, so I didn't, I didn't really get into Onito's stuff until honestly, like maybe five, six years ago. Um, so watching that, I was just like, this is the most insane thing I've ever watched in my life. Like I've never, I'm not a big hardcore guy. I'm not a big deathmatch guy, but like, like Jim said, he runs back in and he covers them. You're just like, what is happening? Like <laughs> to be alive during those moments are like during that time period is just like, something that is just so amazing to me because it was just like, you don't know. It's you still don't know if it's real or not. And you're, you know, um, gosh, uh, funk versus heart, I think is, is pretty underrated. Um, because, uh, I mean, it speaks volumes about Brad Hart. Brad Hart had like the flu that night and he still was like, I'm going to come out for his retirement. Little did we know that was like, you know, 10, eight, you know, 10 or eight, eight or 10, uh, retirements later. <laughs> um, I mean, even his bouts with Cactus Jack were, I think, some of some of the most uh, hard hitting ones I've ever seen. Um, but I think if I had to pick like an all time favorite, it's definitely, you know, him winning the championship in his hometown. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. It's just it's just the cherry on uh, cherry on the top of his on, on a great career he had. Mike, what about you? You've been awfully quiet. So I'd love to hear what you have to say about Funk. No. um. Yeah, God, it just, I, it's what to say to follow up with you guys. Um, you know, so I'll, I'll try and kind of hit the highlights. Um, him, him and Flair, gorgeous. Like that is, that to me is, is pro wrestling. Uh, you know, uh, not, are they the most, are they the most technically sound? No, but it's, it's the story, uh, you know, and, and what they can do. Um, God, um, I remember I was obviously a child of the attitude era. He wasn't, uh, he was not, uh, Terry Funk in the WWE, but Chainsaw Charlie, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, but him and, and Cactus Jack, Mick Foley had a good run, uh, against the, the new age outlaws. Um, and 
the infamous uh, put him in the dumpster and roll him off the stage where my I God, think it was, you killed him. My yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Between JR helping it out. But like, I think it was like come to find out later too that like I, I could be, I thought I heard this, but I thought Terry actually had to either, it was either Mick had to talk Terry into it or Terry had to talk Mick into it. Mm-hmm. But like they were in there together and that they were, they were like holding each other because they knew it was going to, it was going to hurt, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And it's just, but I mean, yeah. So it's, but I remember I was like, it, it, when we were talking about, um, you know, the first time we saw funk, I actually forgot that was one of the other times where I was like, who the hell is this guy? And then someone was like, Oh, that's Terry funk. And I'm like, who? And you know, (laughs) I'm like, Oh, Oh God, that Terry funk. Right. You know? And so God, there's that, um, him winning the ECW title. Uh, great. The crowd is going bananas. I think yeah. he looks like he's crying and it's just, a, again, one of the worst moonsaults I think on the, I've <laughs> ever seen and ever attempted, but what a moment, what a cool moment. Um, I think I, I said it just a few minutes ago, but he came back um, uh, for, it was uh, an ECW again, right before they shut down. So like maybe a year or two, and it was a it was a, a feud with Tommy Dreamer, and I want to say it wasn't Raven, but like just incredible, maybe oh, yeah. um, Lance Storm, something like that. But like he was like, I'm gonna pick you know someone that means something to me and is like you know my mentor and all this and that. And I guess um, I don't know how real this was, but like Tommy Dreamer and Terry Funk had a had a good relationship. And uh, at the the show, I guess the big reveal it was Jake the Snake Roberts and not Terry Funk. And Terry Funk turned on Tommy Dreamer and like beat him up pretty good and was like, yeah, yeah it was like right when they ended. And he was like, why would you not pick me? And it was just, yeah. again, like this at that time, a pretty low totem pole on its way out wrestling organization. And what a great story. You know, I mean, if, you're, like, if you're hiring Jake the Snake, like during at that point, possibly, possibly the worst moment in his career. <laughs> No, nah, you guys are you guys are just hitting home runs at that point. Yeah, when he was uh, literally getting paid in crack instead of money <laughs> to go to shows. Yeah, yeah, oh, God. yeah. Oh, not his not his famous moment. Yeah, good old Jake the Snake. Um, no, but it, it I can't. I'm trying to think of some of the, any other ones because he did. He had, as Tom said, where it was like, oh, Funk retired. Wait, no, he's back again, and then he'd disappear <laughs> again for three years, and then he'd pop back up and. Yeah. So it's, I mean, every match that you guys, it really, it's, it, those are all the good ones. The territory days, uh, even in ECW, like you, Tom, I'm not the biggest hardcore guy, but it was the story. It was the way he was mm-hmm. able to, to just tell a story. Um, I know one of my, fa- I was watching going down a, a funk rabbit hole and when he is doing the promo against Cactus Jack and ECW, boy, I keep going back to ECW. Do you remember that when he had the the branding iron yep. and he's got it like he had that thing like so close to his and he's like blowing on it and yep. he's like cackling. And I'm like, even I was getting like, Jesus Christ, like <laughs> he's going to brand Cactus <laughs> in the face. Yeah, yeah. but that's fucking face. I was going to say that was the that was like a, a key moment in the the opening montage of ECW for years was Terry Funk. <laughs> putting that cactus jacks holding it and like you well, know obviously one of, one of the most memorable moments in wrestling history involved terry funk and that was when funk and cactus jack had just beat up public enemy 
and they they yelled out to the crowd, somebody throw me a chair. The chair. Oh, that's everyone right. threw the fucking chairs. And I love watching that back because Funk is brilliant. Like Foley just gets the fuck out of there, right? But Funk is brilliant. He waits until a chair almost hits him, acts like it knocks him the fuck out so that he can f- do the like prat fall and roll out of the ring to safety. Like he wasn't going to just run. He needed to sell it. He needed that story to be, no, 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 I got hit with the chair. Fucking amazing. I watch it and those little details like that. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, just fucking brilliant. Just brilliant. I see. I thought he got hit by it. Mm-mm. No, it, it it missed him, but he sold it like he got hit. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. God, yeah, he gets so like weak in the legs and he like falls down and he rolls out. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. yeah, like, and then you can hear like the people, like the, I think the guys who own the building are like, Please stop throwing the dirt. (laughs) (laughs) I can talk about that. That was good. Those weren't, and I think obviously I know a lot of the chairs nowadays are 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 worked, meaning Mm -hmm. they're you know very very light metal, but they still have that you know good smack to it. Those were straight up elementary school, you know, folding chairs that weighed like fifteen pounds a piece. Those are the those are the chairs from the crowd, right? Those were the those are the house seats that were getting shucked into the ring on top of public enemy. Oh God, what geez. a moment. But yeah, the what a what a storyteller. And I it, it will end with you know I guess we'll call them, we'll call them other funk sightings. Uh for a while I was like really into like finding just like seeing Terry Funk in movies and TV shows and being like eh. That's Terry Funk and my all time favorite. Hopefully I, I think you guys see where I was going with this, but my all time favorite funk sighting outside of the ring is roadhouse. It's, yeah, yeah. I remember when I first watched roadhouse and I was like that, that that's Terry Funk. Like why is Terry Funk in this movie? And like, he has some great zingers and he's got those like beautiful white little cowboy boots. And oh, yeah. it's just, it he cracks me up. I, I don't know, guys. Like, do you, obviously, we've all seen Roadhouse. We're a big fan. Any any other funk sightings that that you got a kick out of where he just I, randomly showed up? I loved him in Over the Top. Over the Top. I was waiting for that because that's also one of my favorite Stallone movies. Just because oh. it's so fucking ridiculous, right? Oh, it's like, great. Yeah, Terry Funk like gets into a fight with Sylvester Stallone. That's that. Come on, who wouldn't love that? Yeah. That's what dreams are made of. That, hey, and I stood up and cheered USA when that happened. Jim. Yeah. You know, when I turn my hat around, it's like a switch. <laughs> it's like a machine. It's like a machine. <laughs> I love that movie. It's so bad. Uh, it's one of my favorites. You got a guy drinking a quarter motor oil. It's... <laughs> I never knew that arm wrestling was that fucking hardcore, but apparently... Yeah. It is super, super duper hardcore and so hardcore that if you're a good arm wrestler, you can beat up Terry Funk. That's, <laughs> that's, that's more intense than I ever dreamed possible. Well, that's, always, it's, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Tom, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I always love that. He, he always played kind of like a bit part. Like yeah. he knew his role. He was like, Oh, I got the bouncer part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a hired muscle. Cool. Yeah. Well, you're gonna well, that's like, this? <laughs> but that's what's great is that like Tom, you and I were talking about this the other day is like everybody in that Terry Funk would have destroyed. Like that's what cracks me up is like oh, yeah. he ends up getting beaten up by Patrick Swayze. Like he would have destroyed him <laughs> and everybody else in that movie. Funk would have ran right through him. And it's just but that he was like, nope, I get it. I'm a big guy because that was when he was a little bit bigger. And I think that was 
still the, I Jim, when he was doing a lot of the movies or just these kind of yeah. pop-up appearances, like he was still at that territory. It was, it was the beginning of his WCW era, right? Cause it was late eighties that he started mm-hmm. showing up in movies. Uh, okay. Yeah. So he started to get a little bit of that crossover appeal into the mainstream. He was, he was John Cena before John Cena. Let's just call it. <laughs> yeah. Let's- <laughs> I mean, how can you, I mean, he's in two of our, like, what I dare I say, great, like favorite oh. bad movies, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely yeah. classics. Yeah, absolutely. And he shows up in both. It's great. That's great. I have well, to, I, I do have to ask though, Mike, did you watch the tribute to him on WWE though? Oh, okay. maybe this will be a good, yeah, I did not because, well, I, I saw the message when you were like, I couldn't tell that it did till Jim, you were like, you sent that picture of Kobe or, or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, it was and because Tom, I saw it was like, wow, what a hardcore match. And then I, cause I said AEW and you were like, no WWE. And I, I didn't push it any further. And I automatically was like, I get maybe they had one. And then you <laughs> said that. And then I went and I saw highlights and I was like, how, how do you have a hardcore match where there's nothing that happens? Like, <laughs> Oh Lord. Like, and it, yeah, because it was who it was Cody and Cody. Cody set it up right, so they had Cody come out. Oh, and okay, like a, a tribute thing, and it was pretty weak, to be frank. Yeah, uh, it was it was bad. And and then he and then he said, you know, the next match is going to be a Terry Funk hardcore tag team match, and it's the hardcore legends of the Street Profits. <laughs> against the brawling brutes and literally the only part of the match that wasn't your standard run-of-the-mill milk toast wwe match is that they used a table in the finish that's it that is that is the extent of the hardcoreness of the match yeah it's talking about not getting the guy's legacy to me it felt like none of those guys they were like they were presented like, Hey, we're going to do this tribute to Terry Funk and then we're going to do a hardcore match. And they're like, no, we're not going to do that. Like, I I don't want to hurt. I don't want to get hurt during any of this. And like, it just seemed very like those guys weren't willing to do it. It was just the title in it. And, um, yeah, like Jim said that the speech I think was pretty, pretty weak. Um, I I think it was unfortunately, which we'll, we'll lead into with Bray soon. But I think just because the passing of Bray was so like out of nowhere that they were like clearly scrambling, but they didn't want to forget about Terry Funk either. Um, but the, the hardcore match was was horrible. It was so bad. Oh Lord. Did did AEW do or did uh well I would I don't know about Impact because I know Impact is very heavily taped uh these days, but did did AEW do anything at least for for the Funker? Yeah, they 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 had a, a in memory of Terry Funk graphic. Um, they they have not actually been live since Bray passed. So they did do a um, they did do an in uh, you know in memory of Terry Funk because uh, Funk passed Wednesday uh, mm-hmm. like midday, uh, and so they they did you know obviously they did uh, Dynamite that night, uh, and I'm pretty sure they also taped Rampage and Collision that night too, um, and so. They had stuff for funk, but you know, Bray Bray hadn't happened yet. Yeah. Uh, drag. All right. Well, man, that sucks. Like it just a guy that important, you know, I hope something happens uh at uh all in. 
You know, it's somebody, oh, yeah. even, even if, if punk comes out wearing a funk, you shirt, I'll, I'll be happy. I you know it. what I mean? Like it just, or the towel, you know, Terry Funk Eddie doing James that. Like, I think Eddie's going to have hell of a tribute to him. Going to that yeah, well, cause it was him and yeah. did, did funk have any deck direct relation in training Eddie or did you, Eddie just, just love Terry Funk, you know? Yeah. Eddie's just a diehard funk fan. Yeah. Oh man. God, what a drag. Well, hopefully something on Sunday, you know, they do something nice. Uh, and you know, some other, cause I know punk specifically talks about him. Um, I, I, Tom, you and I have talked about it where, um, I don't know if Jay white has been, uh, any connection with him just because of being in Japan and, and, you know, et cetera. But he reminds me sometimes of a young Terry funk with the way he looks and it, it just, I hope somebody, it just, he gets a little bit more recognition because I think the, the people in WWE, they're just, they don't know they're too young because what, seriously, I think the last time he was there was Chainsaw Charlie, right? Yeah. It was the late nineties when he was there. So over 20 some odd years ago, and it's a completely new fan base now. So I don't know. I just, I hope, I hope some of those fans go out and, you know, find him and find out who he was and and why it's important and why he is important and why he's important to the business. Oh, to the cosmos, Funker. To the cosmos. He's got the Unfortunately, uh, there was another, uh, as we said in the beginning of the show, uh, lost another wrestler. Um, This one, I would say very unexpectedly. Um, You know, there were some things going around that he was dealing with some stuff, but was very close to coming back. I think he was actually supposed to come like the next pay-per-view, I think was I'm not sure which one that is at this point. Um, But what would they be? Survivor Series? No. God, they have so many little small ones. Some, it's, yeah, pay, payback is their next pay per view, but Survivor Series would be their next major. Okay, and I think it was that is I I thought very soon is is what I'd heard, um, and unfortunately, um, he he passed away uh, from a heart attack. Uh, I guess that um, he's it, they've been details are very mum, um, but um, the speculation is is that he did have COVID. Uh, which I guess uh, exasperated some already troubling heart issues. Um, so I don't know if he's been dealing with some sort of heart issue for a while, but he, I, he again had a heart attack and passed away. Um, so clearly dealing with some sort of heart issue um, and whatnot, but it just, it came completely out of the blue. Um, and I mean, I don't know. I, I think we all kind of were, you know, heard about it at the same time. Um you know, uh, I think it was what Triple H put out something where it was his dad, Mike Rotunda, had reached out to either him or WWE to say, you know, you know he's gone. Um, you know, Wyndham Rotunda, Bray Wyatt uh, passed away. 
Um, and then I think it was Sean Ross who was kind of had said, I have the permission to share that he had COVID, um, which just, again, I guess, triggered some sort of heart issue that he was already dealing with uh, and whatnot, which is just uh, such a drag. Um, and it just it's one of the it, 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 I think it makes it worse. These kind of the way Bray passed, because the, the days of, you know, obviously the the. Um, not, I don't mean this to sound callous, but like a lot of what some of the wrestlers had passed from was substance abuse issues or steroid abuse, um, you know, which uh, led to or which caused, you know, some heart issues, et cetera. This one seemed really kind of out of the blue. Um, it wasn't really related to drugs as of yet or any kind of abuse of any kind. Um, it just was, it sounds like he had some sort of heart issue. So I think that's why this one stings. Um, also, um, but I think it stings for me, uh, which is, I definitely, you know, clearly we've, we've all been affected by this. Um, for me is that he had so much left and he had me almost from go. Um, I know he started out as Husky Harris with a Nexus. Um, it was kind of the birth of NXT, um, and whatnot, but he, when he, when I found out, so I guess this kind of leads into when you first heard about Bray Wyatt is I remember I checked out of wrestling for a little while, um, was going to school, just kind of doing my thing. And I remember I'd still read the sheets, et cetera. I'd still always read, you know, Lords of pain, catch up there. And I always, I kept hearing about this Wyatt family. I'm like, who the fuck is the Wyatt family? And I'm like, it just reading it. It didn't, it sounds like oh, it's the WWE. I'm sure they're going to, you know, yada, yada, yada. They're going to fuck this up and do this. And then I think, Tom, I reached out to you and you were like, you got to see this guy. I, I'm, I, I can't tell you about you. just need to see him. And I finally saw him and I was hooked. I, I tend to like the macabre a little bit, the mysterious, the dark. And I just latched onto his character um, immediately. And just obviously things happen. He, you know, I think the character ran its path. But like. I think that's what stung the most is he grabbed me almost immediately, which is really hard, um, really, really hard uh, these days. And he just he got it. And for me um, and I think he got it for a lot of people uh, and, and whatnot. So that was my first really introduction to Bray Wyatt um, and and why I, I think this is so shocking um, for many other reasons, too, which I'm sure we'll touch upon. But, um, you know, Tom, when was when did you first see, you know, and I guess really. I'm sure very similar, but like, when did you first really, I guess, catch on to Bray Wyatt, see Bray Wyatt for the first time and know that, man, this guy is something special? Uh, when, oh, so when, before NXT was NXT, it was what, FCW mm-hmm. or Championship Wrestling. And if you remember the, the, like the birth of the Wyatt family, it was, um, it was Wyndham Rotunda and that, uh, one of the other NXT guys, it, I can't, he was a tall dude. Real goofy oh, looking Sawyer Fulton, yeah, that guy. Um, and then uh, he was with Wyatt for for a little bit, yeah. Uh, and that's when he was doing it. And when I first saw him, I was like, the first thing I thought of was like, okay, why is this dude? Why is this dude doing Whale and Mercy? Like, <laughs> what, what is this? And 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 then the whole like Cape Fear stuff. And then the more I watched him, it was just like, oh, this guy, like, and I, I hate to sound cliche, but this guy gets it. Like this guy gets what wrestling is, gets what it's all about. And 
Um, I was very in- intrigued and then he kind of disappeared for a minute. Cause remember when he was doing his, uh, and I, I, I don't know if this is pre or post NXT, uh, the Axel Mulligan guy that he it was, was before, it was before the Wyatt family, I think. Cause I forgot that. Yeah. He went through a couple after Husky Harris, he went through like one or two, uh, I think. And it, one of them was the Axel Mulligan where he was Axel wearing Mulligan. a, like he, cause it was like, he did something with his brother, Bo. Um, they, they, they were like the Wyatt brothers or something. Um, and then he did Axel Mulligan. And then I think it was the Wyatt family. I, I don't know, Jim, if that's, if, does that sound, that sounds right. I, I think I believe that was the timeline, but yeah. Yeah. When I saw him with the Wyatt family, well, with just him solo and, the, and, and yeah, he gives some, he either gave really, really great promos or very, very confusing promos. Uh, some, sometimes like w- when you talk about the eater of worlds, Bray Wyatt, that was a little like, okay, uh, this is, this is, this is weird and changing and I don't like this. Um, but I mean, he was just so captivating. He was, he was fun to watch. He got it. He, he, I think for, for a man that big, he can move, he can wrestle. He, he reminded me a lot of like the old school territorial days kind of guy. He was just big, big athletic guy. And, um, he was, he was, Special man, he really was. He was, he got it, and 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 one of the best qualities about him, I think, was that he was always willing to adapt his character. He was always willing to change for the fans. He was willing to change for the product. Um, and and he just, the, the, if you want to talk about guys who get in ring psychology, he must have had some of the best damn mentors around. Because I mean, if you're doing a deep cut like Whale and Mercy, you know, dude, you're a wrestling nerd. You know what I mean? Like that's to me, that's pretty deep. And and so. I think he was just, he was so creative. He was so unique and, and, you know, like all wrestlers, not everybody has the best matches. Not everybody has the best promos. It was just his, his dedication to his craft. And I, I think that was, that's what made him so special. And he was 36. I was talking to Jim about it. He was 36 years old. He's two years younger than me. And like, it, it, and maybe we'll talk about this in a minute and, and I'll, I'll throw it to Jim, but like, it definitely gets your, gets you thinking, you know, about, here I am, like, I'm a dude who's, you know, pretty overweight myself. I'm eating, you know, Taco Bell breakfast almost every day. And I'm like, this dude who is super athletic, he's bigger than I am. He lifts like a house over his head. He's so strong, dies from COVID when he was just taking care of himself and his family. And it's just like, it's that shit that, that makes me go like, man, if life ain't, ain't fair, it's definitely, the, you know, this moment with him. And, and to touch on that too, real quick, Mike, is that the first thing I heard when he, when he died, I immediately was like, it was drugs or suicide. And I, I hate, I hate that's the, the first reaction yeah. you go to as a wrestling fan. And fortunately we've just been, you know, burned so many times with that. I, that's the first thing I thought of. I was like, uh, what was he doing? You know, was he, you know, was, was he, was his mind not right? Or was he, you know, using secretly? And that wasn't the case, which, which made it honestly, it hurt even harder. So I know he was released, but wasn't he also, he was very, um, and Jim, maybe you're going to touch on this. He was very open about his, his mental health struggles, mm-hmm. um, and whatnot. And I, I know that, that, um, that it, it, I don't think it was necessarily like that or suicide, uh, you know, or anything like that, but it was just his, it, it I don't know, Jim, I, I want to hear you. I just wanted to add that, that he was just, he, he was very open about a lot of that stuff. Uh, and, and whatnot, and maybe this, you know, Sean Ross coming out so fast, and you know, because of so many, you know, 
it is usually a suicide or a drug overdose and whatnot. And I, I don't know if that was sad to say strategic, um, you know, to quell like any kind of, oh my God, did Bray, did he kill himself? Did he, you know, anything like that? Not to sound morbid, but just a, I don't know, just kind of a, an interesting of why they, I guess, why they released what they released. So I don't know, but Jim, I, please tell us about when you, when you saw Bray and <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was first introduced to him when he was Husky Harris, uh, as part of Nexus. Um, and you know, his character wasn't there. Obviously he, he was, nobody knew what the fuck they were doing with that guy at that point. But I remember, and this is going to sound absurd, but be, l- hear me out. I remember thinking this guy's got something when I saw him throw a cross body block. Cause that's such a simple move, but he not only nailed it, he sold how powerful it was. It's one of the reasons I've always really liked big demo Killian Dane and WWE yeah. is, is they throw their, they use their body weight as a weapon and make it look vicious. And I remember watching Husky Harris throw a cross body block and thinking, Ooh, okay. This kid gets it. Um, the fact that he was the son of, of Mike Rotunda, I was immediately kind of like, okay, all right. Uh, you know, he was in, remember he was in the same Nexus group with, uh, 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 Curtis Axel, right. Who was Mike McGillicuddy at the time, but That's so right. he had, you had the son of Mr. Perfect and the son of, of Mike Rotunda, uh, both in that group. And, and I remember thinking like, okay, they've got to do something with these two because of their pedigree alone. But, uh, yeah, when, when he really kind of found his footing in FCW, uh, and then when they brought him up to the main roster, that was one of the best debuts um they they were rolling out the vignettes for weeks and you know and and like you said tom you know the first time i saw him i'm like fucking waylon mercy seriously it's waylon mercy (laughs) yeah Um, Yeah. but he was able to give it a a life of its own um and and take it to places where waylon mercy never could right where stan spivey couldn't pull it off uh and, and 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 give it a whole new level um, you know, yeah. And he was, he was very open about his struggles with mental health. Uh, and, and I'll admit, I, I kind of worried the same thing when I heard he passed, I worried suicide because I know that he had been widely reported, not only his mental health issues in the past, but also, um, you know, he, he took it really hard when Brody passed. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I will admit I was a little nervous and, I don't, I wouldn't at all be surprised if it was strategic uh, for the family to put out there what happened because I'm sure, you know, again, Mike Rotunda has been in the business for, you know, forever. He knows how this works. He knows what the stories are. He knows, you know, how, how this goes. So yeah, the, the family probably thought, you know, let's make this real clear right up front. This is, you know, it, this is what happened. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just, it's, it's horrible. It's just, it's just horrible that. Um, you know, this was a, a, a kid in his prime, you know, he's 36 years old. So a lot of people are like kid, but no, he was, he was a kid in his prime, man. Uh, he had a lot to go and, and it was just, it's absolutely tragic. And, you know, we, we were talking about this before we started recording, but when the WWE did the tribute on Friday night, SmackDown, they showed the pictures of him with his kids. And that's when I lost it. That's when I just completely lost it. Cause you know, on the one hand, this was a brilliant performer. This was an amazing talent, but 
This was also a man who was loved by his wife and loved by his kids and who loved them too. Uh, and, and that's, you know, I gotta get, I don't give WWE a lot of, uh, credit for things, but one thing I will give them credit for is that they announced that all of the sales, all of the profits of the Bray Wyatt merchandise will be going towards his family. Oh, wow. Uh, that's so great. Good, good on them. Good on them for doing that because obviously there's a rush on, on Bray Wyatt merch right now. And, yeah. um, that's going to help go support his his wife and his kids. So that's great. I think Man, that's uh, I think a couple other wrestlers are are doing that too. I think they're they're donating uh, as much as they can to like his family right now, and um, which is which is kind of, I mean, it's very unique to see uh, it, that happen. Um, it, it's kind of you know, especially with what like when AEW pretty much you know did everything for Brody and his family. I was glad to actually see you're right, Jim. You know. Um, we don't we don't think too highly of WWE, but I think that was really cool of them and a smart move for sure. Um, and and what what I think what really upset me the most was when he give when he gave that promo when he came back. Like looking back at it, I just rewatched it and I was like, there is a lot of truth in this promo. And it's like, is this even a promo at all? I think it was Wyatt just being himself, and I think they were trying to work it into uh, like some sort of story, but. Man, he he genuinely seems very very sincere about like uh, coming back and being able to to perform again, and I I, th- I that was really touching and just man, it's just so sad when you when you go back and listen to that and just like how much it meant to him that he was you know given another opportunity. There were a couple of interviews I was watching with him where they were talking about you know, and he he got a lot of comparisons to the Undertaker uh, to. Um, Again, I know it was a deep cut, but like Dan, or Dan Spivey, uh, <laughs> Waylon Mercy, uh, et cetera. Um, and he said, I'm just trying to be me. I'm just trying to be Bray Wyatt. So hearing you, I, I forgot about that promo that he did when he came back. I, I haven't seen it since he since he did it. Um, but it's not, there was a lot of truth to that. And, and kind of going back to some of the Wyatt promos that were often like, what? <laughs> like it. I kind of want to go back and rewatch him now because I'm, I'm, it sounds like he was also it. Um, there's a band that I follow, uh, Amon Ra. Uh, they're kind of a, they are a doom metal band, but the guy sees his performance as like therapeutic. It's, it's an art, it's a cathartic release. And, and I think Bray, uh, Wyndham did that. I, it, it kind of seems to make sense that he was using this also as an outlet for his mental health um, or just, you know, whatever he wanted to get off his chest. And it was, he just watching some of these, you know, various interviews he gave it, just the underlying message always seemed to be is I'm just trying to be Bray Wyatt. I want to, I want to be able to connect and, and I want my words to mean something because I, there was a a thing for a while. um, It was, it, it, I I don't want to say like blinking, you miss it, but like where his promos were, um, really resonating around the internet wrestling community where it was like, because they were that confusing, but like there was also a lot of, you know, I don't want to get conspiracy theory here, especially with wrestling, but like there was a lot of, there were many deeper messages in his promos. I don't know if you guys had ever heard anything like, did you guys ever hear that? Or, you know, Oh yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, case in point, uh, he planted the seeds for the fiend, like, months even maybe a year before he he like he like basically got off tv 
and you know he dropped a bunch of weight and he was doing the whole fiend thing but he he dropped that like months when he was doing the wyatt stuff it was like and it wasn't even really like a a promo for like live wrestling it was like one of these like you know i think wwe was talking about like what's what scary super like what what's your scariest superstar moment or like what's your you know favorite halloween moment and bray like he's not breaking character at all and he talk he's he's like describing the fiend and he, and it was like one of the one of the coolest things ever because when the fiend debuted i was like wait what the dude with the white face and you go back and he he was like planting those seeds and and it just his promos were were very unique i knew he was very big into um i want i don't want to even say like political wise i think he was pretty like independent like he wasn't very big on like both political parties which was interesting because he would like dabble with that every once in a while on his promos um yeah no that i i would definitely i would like to also go back and, and rewatch them too mike i think you could find a lot of really fun stuff yeah and hearing you say that like it makes me want to go back and watch some of the firefly funhouse it, it, those were some of the best things i think i've ever seen and again <laughs> he they were because I remember at first again kind of checking out and I think I Tom I think I reached out to you and was like is this worth it and you were like you gotta check these out and it I was like what the fuck is this but it, it, there was that he the thing that I loved about Bray and especially that goddamn that character where it was the the Firefly the the Firefly Funhouse Bray Wyatt where everything was great and then thirty seconds at the end he's like. I, I have a secret. Do you want to know my secret? And I'm like, huh, like Ooh. that's fucking creepy. And like in the way, and again, Tom, the flashes, the, the subconscious kind of, there's the fiend. It, it was very Bazuzu in, um, uh, the exorcist where it was like little flashes. Oh yeah. And it was just, man, oh man. And so I think that kind of transitions into, you know, the next thing similar to what we did with funk is why even at a young age, Bray, uh, Wyndham, uh, was so important to wrestling. Um, and I, I think we've all kind of collectively talked about it at, at, you know, a little bit here with his promos and whatnot, but, um, you know, Tom, why do you think, I guess, again, it, it, this hit hard, it was unexpected, but like he clearly made an impact on a lot of people and a lot of fans. And so like, what to you was, again, if we have to reiterate, whatever, revisit, um, you know, why was he so important? Uh, and, and why do you think he should be considered as somebody important in the wrestling industry? Not because of also his lineage, um, which we did talk about last week. Um, he's named after one of the greatest wrestlers ever, Barry Windham. Um, because I think Jim, what was it? It's Rotunda married Windham's sister, right? Or. Yes. Where? Yes. Yeah. Um, Mike Rotunda's. Yeah. Mike Rotunda is married to Barry Windham's sister. Got it. Okay. And so like, yeah, anyway, but so Tom, why was Bray so important and, and, and why should he be considered important? I think uh, one of the biggest reasons why people need to check out Bray Wyatt was because he was, he was the first to do it in a very, very long time was to bring like uh, almost gimmicks back and not make them stupid. And it wasn't dumb. And it was like him proving to the wrestling audience that you can make gimmicks work in a non gimmicky environment anymore. Um, and yeah, I think it would geared towards more of the macabre. Um, I, I think he was just, he had 
he 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 looked at wrestling in in different like avenues. Like he took from film, he took from music, he took from stage presence, he took from everything, and he molded it into this this amazing unique product. And and he is the first guy to do that in a very very long time. And I mean, for crying out loud, Tom Savini um, did his masks for him. And Tom Savini was like also like a big inspiration for like some of the stories that he did. And he was like, how can I make, you know, how can I make this horror kind of theme work? And like you said, Mike, you know, some of the promos that he gave is like, I remember watching the, the first firehouse fun fly fun house fire. What is it? I can never say it. Shocking. I can't pronounce something right. Um, (laughs) But when he, when he first did that promo, I was like, what the hell is this? Like, he went from, you know, backwoods, Louisiana guy to this, like this is Vince McMahon written all over it. And then it was that last couple of seconds that was like, he just got you. And I was like, that was brilliant. Like here I am. And that was all Wyatt too. Like, I'm pretty sure when he started that he didn't want McMahon anywhere around it because he knew that like it was going to get screwed up and eventually mm-hmm. it did. Um, but like those first couple of promos that he was doing, that was all him. And he could, he could just get you. He could captivate you. And that's what makes him, I think really important. Cause he was in, in the world of promos, good guy versus bad guy. You get the same thing over and over again, but he, here comes Bray and he just, he just stood out. And I was like, he brought back a, a certain psychology that was, that was definitely needed. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think that's, I guess that's why he's important to me at least. Uh, how about you, Jim? Yeah. Character development. I mean, you, you, you think about some of the greatest actors uh, of the last 60 years and they were great because they knew how to develop their characters and make them multidimensional uh, and, and not these 2d flat, simplistic, I good, I bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bray put so much thought into that character development and, and it's a testament, you know, it's, you can, see that in what you were talking about with him dropping hints about the fiend months, if not a year in advance. And he had all these layers to the character that allowed him to go in a multitude of directions and allowed him to be so creative. Um, and yeah, I, I was, when I think about character development, I think about um, Steve Austin said once that the best wrestling characters are you turned up to 11. Just take take your personality and turn it up to 11. And I think that's part of the reason why Bray was so successful and so important and influential is because he had it in him and he just turned it up to 11. And that authenticity showed through, that genuineness showed through, that mm-hmm. yes, this isn't, you know, he didn't walk the streets like that, but he <laughs> had that in him and he just turned it up to 11. Uh, and And... I agree. I agree with what you said, Mike. I think it probably was therapeutic for the guy. Um, and you know, it's it, the commitment, the genuineness, the integrity that he had in his work, I think is why he was so important and why he will be remembered for a long time. Yeah, boy, man. I, I it did you just guys, did you guys ever hear about the reasons why he had hurt and heel on his hands? No, I never no. Apparently it was, uh, it was, somebody noticed it. I was reading about it. Um, I can't remember the somebody, but I was, I remember reading about it. It was that 
he would hurt the people that he felt that needed to be hurt and heal the people that he would need to heal. And if you remember his feud with Seth Rollins, Seth Rollins was kind of like he beat, you know, he beat Brock and everyone kind of like weirdly turned on him. So they made it into a storyline and Bray healed Rollins and made him like that vicious, that vicious heel later. Hmm. Because that's why when he turned heel, a lot of people were like, oh, it was Bray Wyatt, like fixing all the all these like broken wrestlers. And same with like the reason why he did it to McFoley, though. So like with all of those pictures um, and this is like, yeah, like insider baseball wrestling stuff, like with all the <laughs> pictures, every one of those pictures was like a person he, he hurt or heal. And like the and it went with the story that he was trying to tell. And then unfortunately, he got just completely discombobulated with COVID and everything. So like, yeah, but it was leading to, uh, in my opinion, I think that's what it was leading into the, the match with Cena. And that's, it was going to include it all in there, but they had to like rush it because they, you know, because of COVID regulations and stuff like that. Yeah. Which by the way, oh, um, are we, if we're going to talk about matches, Mike, are we going to talk about matches? Well, in a minute, because <laughs> I, I'm actually going to go watch that. Cause I, I, I watched two. Um, one's not really a match. It's, it's a squash, but we'll, we'll get there. But I just, I, 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 man, I just love, I spent part of the day going through just his promos. Um, and one of the first ones that caught me with the Wyatt family, when I was like, who are these guys? And I don't know if you remember the vignette. It was like a five, it was a, a rather long one. If I remember, or maybe it was, you know, spread out through the evening as WWE likes to do. It was when they went, they sent a cameraman to go to the Wyatt compound. <laughs> and it was like, the guy's like, Oh man, I, I don't know. Blah, blah, blah. And they turn the corner and there's Rowan and he's just chopping wood. But then like, all of a sudden he just turns and looks. That's when I, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I, that shit just, it freaks me out, but it grabs me. Cause I'm like, this is dark. It's spooky. And then of course, like, Man, fucking Brody Lee, uh, Luke Harper at the time is like, don't stray. And then the guy gets lost in the house and he's like, I told you don't stray. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, it just it, he it, like, I think he, he just he would grab it. He would grab you. And I think that's what was so important about him is that in an era, Tom, again, I you know, where the gimmicks were all but gone. Uh, you know, wrestling was on a, a a definite cold streak, and here you have this, I would say maybe generational talent that literally could grab you with a little bit of time. You know, because it sounds like all of us had to be like, "Wait, what is this?" Like, and once we okay, suspend our disbelief, and it was he grabbed us, and I I think that's why he's so important. Um, and I think to get into now, I think what's going to be a lot of fun. Um, is the guy could roll. The guy could actually wrestle as opposed to Terry Funk was a master storyteller. We've all agreed. Not the greatest wrestler. Bray could wrestle Um, and, and to Jim's credit could throw his weight around. Um, Tom uh, moons ago sent us a message uh, where it was, who does the best Uranagi in the business? And one of my first answers was Bray Wyatt. Mm. That I, that's a hard move to pull off. And it's, you know, there's different variations of it, but goddamn, could that guy as Bray looked big, but he didn't straight. He wasn't muscler muscler. Wow. He wasn't <laughs> muscly like Alex Luger or a Wardlow, but he was a big guy. And to be able to pick somebody up like that and turn and it just, I always loved his Uranagi, but this will essentially lead into 
favorite matches. Um, some, I mean, he he has obviously. A, I I would say, uh, I I don't want to say a storied career, and I don't mean that in a harsh way, just because it's it was cut so short. But I think we can eliminate Husky Harris, maybe Axel Mulligan, and and he had he had a good run with the Wyatt family as Bray Wyatt, but then also Bray Wyatt the Fiend, um, and had some some pretty damn good matches um and 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 whatnot so jim i'm i'm definitely intrigued to see what you got um what were some of your favorite bray wyatt matches wyatt family matches you just yeah because he did get him it was the faction there was a lot of that you know for a while so you know what is your what's what, what are your favorite bray wyatt matches well i i thought about calling an audible and going with favorite moments but i'm gonna go with the original <laughs> intent and, and go with just matches um, and and both of my favorite Bray Wyatt matches happened at Elimination Chambers. Uh, the first one was in 2014. It was the Wyatt family versus the Shield. Oh my oh, god! Fuck i I remember just, the first. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I just just watched it like yeah. earlier today and was like, God damn it! Like I remember the, <sighs> the the first time those two factions came face to face. I oh my god! Did I pop? Oh my God, I was so giddy. I was like, oh my God, this is going to happen. I was so excited. Um, I, and then the match was great. I, and then the payoff of it was fantastic. Um, I, I, I loved it. Um, and then the other was in 2017 when he won the title. And he won the title in the Elimination Chamber. Uh, I, I thought that was fantastic. No, I, I'll be honest. I didn't see it coming. I didn't think he was going to win it. And, yeah. and so when he did, and to be fair, they did shit all with it. Uh, when his, it was a really shitty title run. Yeah. Winning that match, I was like, oh my God, that was fucking amazing. That was fantastic. I'm so glad they pulled the trigger on it. But yeah, for, for me, I, I loved his moments so much more. Um, but his, yeah, match wise, I, I thought those two were, they're going to go down. They're going to go down as classics, I think, ultimately. John, what about you? Oh, uh, for sure. The, the Wyatts versus the Shield. Um, man, I remember when they were like sprinkling it and I was like, no, there's no way they're going to do this. This is just something that's like a one, a one-off moment. Like, in cause like, I love, I love Bray Wyatt's voice when he gets like yelly. He like, it's like a real guttural yell. And he's like trying to like corral the troops back. And he's like, we have a common enemy. And I think it was with punk and Danielson. Right. Which yeah, yeah. weird, weird mix right there. Um, yeah was um yeah when 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 man that was match of like probably the decade for wwe that match was amazing um the crowd was that the crowd was like on point during that whole match um one of the matches that i really um it was a moment though i i gotta take jim's you know line here um you can't talk about bray wyatt and and not mention uh the rise of daniel bryan um, that is the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life is when he knocks himself out, but he's able to wrestle and you can see Bray Wyatt's like, you know, Bray's helping him through it and he's yelling at him, taunting him. And we get the, you know, we get the first big yes chant. That was on top of the cage, right? On top of the cage, yeah. yeah and, he, and, and he, I think he like, again, not to switch topics, but didn't Danielson say he doesn't remember it? No. Mm-mm. Like knocks himself out. Yeah. <laughs> And that's again a testament to how great Bray was because he's you you can see him controlling the match like 
He's he's I mean, yeah, he's doing his part in playing the shield, uh, the heel. And he's, he's shouting like, you know, like, come on, hit me, hit me, hit me. Cause he's directing, he's like, hit me. Come on. You're like, not like either you're going to pass out, man, or you, are you going to do what you need to do? Um, so, uh, that, that I, I love that one. And then when he debuted as the fiend, um, against, uh, uh, Finn uh, Balor, Finn Balor, that, that the entrance alone, you're just like, what am I watching? Like it, for, for land of, you know, PG, that was one of the most like scariest things I've ever seen since like nails. And I was a kid when nails was around. So like, <laughs> it was, it was, he comes out with the, the severed head of Bray Wyatt and you're just like, what is happening? Uh, and like kids are crying. And I was like this, if they can tap into this, he's going to go so far. Um, man, he was just, gosh, the, the, the promos, even when he came back, even when we, we, we talked about it with uh, the match with what uh, he came out after Riddle and Rollins. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was kind of like, where do we go from here? But man, was that awesome. That was just one of the coolest things I've seen in a long time. Yeah, boy, I know we've talked about it. Um, obviously, this will be number three. I just watched the earlier today, the Shield and Wyatt uh, match at Elimination Chamber. And oh, my God. It, Good wrestling, good something clicked with all six of those guys uh, that night. And I remember reading reports that the everyone, including the main event, were like, well, we're fucked uh, because <laughs> they and, and I even heard there were some like there were like I I I don't know if it was Cena, but there were some top towns that were pissed. The fact that this was supposed to be a mid card you know, kind of thing. And it was like, no, you know, make, you know, make, make way for the main event, kind of the, a very weird old school mentality. And I was like, what are you talking about? This is one of the best matches you put on in a long time. And Jim, to your credit too, when they were sprinkling it, uh, I, it was that when they were like trying to separate um, and then um, what was it? It was like, they go to leave, and it's it's uh Ro- it's Roman and Bray on the outside and Rowan and Harper on the inside with Ambrose and Seth. And they're like, OK, and they go to leave and fucking Ambrose and Harper both turn around and run into each other. that crowd. That's what I'm like. OK, I like I, I think I like wrestling again. Like, OK, this is, <laughs> I got like yeah. who's like for the longest time and, and they built it and they built it really well. Um, And what a blo- what a what a payoff match. Um, so goddamn good. Oh my god! Have and you watched? Have you watched any of the promos leading up to it? Oh, it's great. When like the one when, promo he does, where Bray talks about like where you, the Shields are like you know being like the the they know, like war team. They're like we like war, and Bray does that like, and he's like talking about things that he likes, and he's like war, my favorite. And yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, Dude. it's yeah that and and even Dean or sorry uh, Moxley. When he was like, ooh, Bray, ooh, Bray. And I'm like, God damn it. And like, they were just, that group had really, really good chemistry magic, together. Man. And my fa- one of my favorite moments in the match, and I can't believe, I was watching it. I'm like, I cannot believe I'm actually enjoying a Roman Reigns is right at the end. Great fucking storytelling when he busts out a sister Abigail and watch Bray's face. And he's like scared and and roman goes on this terror and then harper sacrifices himself and bray ends up it's just i might go watch it again it's so <laughs> fucking good it was it was in a in a in a era where it was like i'm not sure what's happening like 
clearly Danielson's kind of on the rise. Punk is on his way out. Like what's, you know, it was going, it was, a, it was, I think headed towards a stale period. And this was a really good, uh, fun moment in that mm-hmm. period. Um, and fuck it. I was going to try and talk my way. Uh, cause I was going to be like, it, it was a match, but it was a moment. And, uh, it's, it's when the fiend debuted, um, because it was a squash match. Let's just face it. It really wasn't a match, but, I, I think Tom, I texted you was like, holy shit, you need to see this. Like yeah. it that I don't get I've had maybe four or five chill moments in watching wrestling. Um, I think one of the most recent ones was when Punk came back. Um, I it was I got chills just watching it. And that entrance gave me chills because I was like, this is terrifying. And, you know, Tom, to your point, like. God bless whoever got this across a PG thing. I think Tom, I think there was even like not to get out again, conspiracy theory or rumory or whatever, but there was a thing where they were going to tone down his entrance. Right. Because like people yeah. were so scared by it. And I'm like, that's, but why would you do that? Like, that's why I'm turning in. And because it's been this, and that's why I want to go back and watch some of the firefly is that it's these little drops of him and building and building and building and then you get this terrifying motherfucker who and and that crowd even was like, what the like, not in a bad way, was like, what the fuck is this? Like, brilliant. And it so it was, I guess, you know, it was a moment. And and he, God damn, did he have some good moments? And it as I was thinking about how, you know, how can we end this on, you know, it's this, it sucks. Um, I think all of us were like pretty bummed out about. Bray Wyatt, like it same with Brody Lee. Um, you know, some of these these just like gone too soon. And and I I I I'm hoping here on a uh, to end the show on, you know, if you could have picked any dream matches, whether AEW, uh WWE, because uh, I bring up AEW because there was speculation that he was gonna go after he got released, which a lot of people were like, wait, what? Like, why would you get rid of? Because I think at the time he got released, he was like one of their number one drawers of merchandise. Yeah. Fiend stuff. So it was like very odd. Um, And just given the history that he's had with his family and the company, et cetera, um, you know, there was AEW talks. Um, And that just got me thinking about, man, you know, maybe there was somebody in AEW if he would have signed uh, that they could have had some stuff with. So I think to end it on a positive note, um, you know, if you could have, I will call it the dream scenario. Um, you know, if, if, if Bray could have kept going, who would you, if, if there was a feud or a match you would like to see uh, or matches, um, you know, what would they be? Because I think he had so much talent and so much left to give. Um, you know, I, it, it made me think of a couple, uh, you know, right off the bat. So I'm, I'm really interested to hear Jim. Yeah. I, do you under, I got, do you understand? Jesus Christ. Do you understand me? <laughs> do you understand? Let me explain it again. But like do you, where I'm going, you know what I mean? Yeah, like if yeah. not to be morbid, but to really just try and end it on a good note, like who, if you could have seen a Bray Wyatt versus who, who would it be? I, I got a couple um, and very, very different uh, for very different reasons. I would have cool. loved to have seen Bray versus Malachi. Um, oh, yeah. The, the psychology those two could pull off mm-hmm, in a match mm-hmm. would be, God, just spine chilling. Uh, and I would love to see uh, Bray Wyatt versus Kazuchika Okada um, for yeah. storytelling. 
I, I think a style clash like that, I think watching Okada sell for Bray and watching Bray sell for Okada, uh, I just, I, I can see in my mind all of their, their classic spots they like to do. Um, you know, Bray Wyatt would do the crab walk, right. You know, where he flip upside down and, and scare the other guy. Just seeing Okada react to that would be amazing. Uh, I, I, I think the storytelling that those two could have done would have been groundbreaking. Um, I also wouldn't, again, similar, uh, but very, very uh, might seem out of left field is Will Ospreay. Uh, I think Okada versus, or excuse me, Okada. I think, I think uh, Bray Wyatt versus Will Ospreay would have been fucking amazing because Bray Wyatt was a great base. Um, think about his matches with Rollins and what Rollins was able to do with Bray Wyatt. I, I think you put a guy like Will Ospreay in there with Bray Wyatt and you could have seen some amazing shit come out of that. Uh, and, and again, Ospreay is really good at in-match storytelling. So uh, I, I, I think those are three very different uh, performers to be in there with, but yet would have brought out something really, really special in Bray. I would have paid great money to see Will Ospreay call Bray Wyatt bruv. <laughs> I I love it. Um, for me, well, some some when when Moxley left the WWE, I thought Bray Wyatt put out one of the coolest tweets. Um, was basically like you know like brother in arms. It was like a picture of them, and it was like brother in arms to the very end. But like I always imagined ourselves, you know, whether it was WrestleMania or um, headlining like a gymnasium dog collar match, like just basically like. Uh, their their styles were just so like they you know we could fight forever kind of thing and I would have loved to seen not Dean Ambrose but John Moxley and Wyndham Rotunda I think though you could have gotten a series of matches out of them that that you would have never gotten out of them in WWE um, same with Jim Malachi Black I think would be awesome um, man I'm really having to I'm trying to think since Jim pretty much stole all the good ones um, Jim <laughs> and Brody King. I think those two would have an insane, insanely great match. And also, too, if we're let, let's bring in, you know, if even if we do that, you bring in the Wyatt family. And if, you know, Luke, you know, Luke Harper never passed away. Brody Lee, um, you get the Wyatt family versus the House of Black. I mean, come on. Oh that would have been unreal. Um, and, it, you know, in it's just, ah, oh man. There, there's a lot of possibilities there. I'm, I'm kind of wrapping my mind around the, the Okada one. I like that a lot. That's a really good one. <laughs> a good um, one. Hell, even, even, you know, if Bray and Suzuki fought, that'd be fun. Like there's just so <laughs> many dudes in new Japan. That would be amazing to watch. But I think Brody, Brody uh, King and, and Bray would be my number one. It would dream match. What about you, Mike? Really good one. Yeah, no, man, it Malachi Black was the first one uh, instantly that came to mind. Um, I know uh, as the illicit substance user of the group, <laughs> I I thought one night I came up with what I thought was one of the coolest storylines. Um, and I actually got so excited about it. I, I was like, I called Tom and I was like, yes, how, how can I get this in front of someone? Because I actually think it would be amazing. Um, was, do you remember? And I don't know, this was more or less, it would have been Bray or Wyndham joining forces with, uh, Malachi. There was that it was when he brought in Brody 
And there was that he was teasing that there was a third and or something. And I thought I called Tom and I'm like, man, how cool would it be if Bray shows up and he's like, because Malachi has a very, a very dark uh, pagan type um, character. Uh, and I don't know if uh, you're familiar with True Detective or if anybody listening is familiar with True Detective is Bray or Wyndham shows up as the Yellow King is this like Corcosa. Yeah. And I, and I was like, how, and, and everyone's like, it's this like, Oh my God, who is this creature or whatever? But then it gets, it gets Bray a chance to get away from the fiend. And now he has this new character, you know, where he's the yellow King or something. And I like, I got, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. Like, I'm like, how cool of that would it like it, a fresh start and gives him both these two guys who are equally creative you know, maybe there's separation, whatever. But man, I I thought that would have been so cool if he shows up, like the lights go out, and all of a sudden, like Brody and and Malachi are like bowing, and it's it's Bray. Like, oh my god, that would have been unreal, right? Like, weren't I would have lost. Weren't they trying to do that in WWE though? Because like when when Malachi, because Malachi when well, Alistair Black got fired. Um, he was like, it was kind of really unexpected. And he, he was kind of doing that, like kind of Koreshian, like cult yeah. that, that I, I would have loved to see more. Um, and I heard that he was going to ultimately be the one behind the fiend. And then of course, this is where it gets terrible is that the one above Malachi or Alistair black was Vince McMahon. Did you ever hear about this? Oh my God, of course. Yeah, seriously, look it up. He he talked about it briefly. Like him and Bray were going to be a thing in WWE, but he just got like unserious, like just fired, like out of the blue. I, yeah, why am I why not surprised? So bad at everything. Yeah. Why do they ruin all these fucking br- brilliant things? I, it's his uh, ego. It's he, this is great. I want to be a part of it. And it's, and it's like, it's like with Jericho going all in it's, I can, now I can say that I wrestled will ask, you know what I mean? I was the one oh, that, God. yeah, it, it fucking sucks. Um, but my other, my, my one, cause they're you guys, I mean, Jim, you obviously stole so many good ones, Tom, Sorry. you had some good ones. Um, <laughs> but I think the one I thought I think could have been fucking money. Um, Bray Wyatt versus Smojo. Um, oh man! How yeah. you could have done a year's worth on those guys? Joe not being afraid, but then like that's when you know Bray you, brings out an alter ego that's terrifying that scares Joe. Like it's money on the fucking table. But that man, that would have been cool to see those two guys go at it. So two big meaty men slapping meat. Yep. Just, yep. Fuck yeah. You got you got the a great great storyteller and Bray. Uh, you've got a, a decent storyteller, but a hell of a fucking wrestler. And Joe, I, I, come on, it, it sells itself. So, yeah, I guess you know. Well, hopefully that you know we ended the show on a little bit of a positive note um, after losing you know two, one legend and one definitely was on his way to becoming a legend, a hundred percent. You know, so. Yeah, uh, you know, we'll get back to stuff next week, but we thought it was important to to really honor these two individuals um, because clearly they've had a big impact on us. Um, and again, not to take away from Terry Funk, but 
Bray Wyatt hits a little harder because clearly the future of the business, I think, yeah. um, in terms of storytelling, you know, really getting it, as we've all said, um, and just gone too soon. So it's it's a real drag. But uh, yeah, uh, I think we'll just end it there. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Uh, he wonderful Wait, talent. You, did you watch the the end of uh, SmackDown? I didn't watch the end. Um, oh, I did. I, well, I saw. Well, I saw. Was the video montage? Was that in the end with like his little baby, like sitting behind the belt? No, that, that was like, that was like near the beginning of the show. That yeah, almost got me, where I was like, "Gee, oh man," because he was such a family man. Like he, I know he had an affair. Whatever, it doesn't matter. He was happy and whatnot, but he loved. Jojo and those kids. And it just is like, man, well, what guys, what happens at the end? Do you guys know why Roman Reigns wasn't at SmackDown? Oh, no. I, we should have brought this up. He's getting a lot of shit for it. But do, you know, but do you know the story? No, I mean, oh. I kind of know that the wrestling, like, I don't know why he wasn't there, but I've heard he was supposed to be. He right? was not, yeah, he was not at the show because he flew to Bray Wyatt's house and hand delivered the blue universal championship belt to Jojo. And he officially, so he, cause Bray was the first one to have the blue belt. Yeah. Yeah. And so he officially retired the belt and gave it to Bray's widow. Wow. So he stayed off TV so he could do that. Rollins, Seth Rollins had a great video on his Twitter feed. Yeah. Sitting in his car and explaining how, you know, um, he was thinking about going, but ultimately, you know, every conversation he had with Wyndham, Wyndham said, go hug that little girl of yours, you know, go love on that baby girl. And so he said, you know, I'd rather stay with my family because that's what Wyndham would have wanted. And, uh, but God, just watching him struggle to get through that was. Oof. Did you, Dang, uh, I didn't even, did you see, Booker? I didn't even see that. Booker found out like right, like as soon as That's he started recording his podcast, that yeah. one was like, I mean, I know, say what you will about Booker T and his announcing it, but like that one hit hard too. Cause he, you can just see like the utter like shock on his face and it's just like, damn. Wow, man. Well, good for fucking Roman. What a, wow. What a class. Well, I heard, yeah. Cause he was getting a lot of crap from the, the, um, IWC, the internet wrestling folks. And um, the yeah, I heard he. I thought he was supposed to do it on on TV, and he didn't want to break break character, so it never happened. I didn't know about that. He went to to the house. That's amazing. Wow. He hand hand delivered it to her. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. God damn. What a guy. That's wow. What a fucking nice thing to do. What um, not to take away from that. What happened at the end of SmackDown? What was it? What they do? Like they 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 showed the lantern and they turned it off. Oh wow! Yeah, damn. It was, uh, and then the the portrait of Bray and the the wings or whatever it was. Oh, his moth is the yeah the moth wings or whatever. And yeah, uh, yeah, I think LA Nine gave a really really good tribute to him too. I was gonna say I I saw that and he was even struggling. I mean, and that's was his last uh, last opponent. Well, I was gonna say there's that, but like I I'm speculating here, but it seemed like. Those guys can obviously they can do better. They're, that was a gimmicky match. It was clearly sponsored by Mountain Dew. It, it, so I'm sure there's a lot of 
emotion behind, I'm so sorry, that was our last match. You know what I mean? Like you deserved, if you had to go out, you needed so much better. 